Welcome to the Westminster Effects Doxology Podcast, where we explore popular practices, songs, and ideas in the modern church world in the light, I can't read, of Sola Scriptura and Tota Scriptura. I'm Cody Fields, president of Westminster Effects. Go buy stuff, westminstereffects.com. Make sure you join the Westminster Effects Doxology Podcast Lounge on Facebook. Hey, by the way, I'll just lead with this. You can support the show at anchor.fm. Help us improve. Go make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Leave a review. I guess that means I have to come up with a different uh, ending now. <laughs> uh, we're, in, we're in trouble now. And in person, joining me is... It's Bradley. That's all. That's all I have to say. Just Bradley. I'm here. And uh, our uh, sexy boat captain, John Ross, is on vacation, and he didn't tell us until like 20 minutes ago. So shame yeah. on you, John. Enjoy your vacation. Shame on you and enjoy your vacation. Where is he? I, I don't know. He didn't say. Yeah, there's no beach yeah. in Nebraska. So. Yeah, I mean, he'd have to fly to get to a beach, right? He's <laughs> probably camping somewhere. So, uh, Farrick Zindley says, what are your favorite books? Can you recommend some good ones? And so I figured a discussion of some of our favorite books of all time, obviously, mm-hmm. and maybe what we're currently reading, and even branching into, I guess, what you could call common grace literature. <laughs> um, I just came up with that on the spot. Be proud, everybody, of uh, you know books maybe written by non-Christians that still address how we live in God's world mm-hmm. and, and how all that works out. So uh, uh, you want to start, Bradley? Maybe, sure. maybe favorite book of all time. Favorite book of all time. Uh, the Bible doesn't count. Gosh. Um, probably uh, Mere Christianity, Desiring God. Mm-hmm. I think one of those two. You can't go wrong with either. Yeah, I, th- I think one of those two is probably like... And and I think because of, of such a profound impact on me. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Early in my journey with Christ... Uh, early in my, you know, pursuit of what God had called me to do, mm-hmm. those books had such a profound impact on my theology. Yeah, <clears throat> that um, I would count them among my favorite. I, I don't know yeah. that they're. You know, some might say they're not the best books they've ever read, but those those mean so much to me. Right. Yeah. And same same for Desiring God with me, where that I, that really is what set me on the path to reformedom. Yeah. Where me too. where. Uh, you know, coming out of college, um, you know, I, I needed something extra, and so I find the uh, the duo of John Piper and Mark Driscoll, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was like, "Well, I kind of like how Driscoll yells at me, but I don't really know about this predestination stuff." And yeah. so then I start listening to Piper, and then I read Desiring God. I was like, "Well, it's over. It's over. Yeah. <laughs> I can't get away from it." <clears throat> yeah, it's it's so sweet too to like. Um there's a, a young gal that, uh, well, I've told the story on the podcast about my vocal therapist, right? Yeah. Who's just recently become a Christian and Mary and I are kind of discipling her together and mm-hmm. helping her grow in the faith. And she just started reading desiring God and she is eating it up. Oh it's, yeah. It's like, yeah. Oh man. It, and it's so sweet to watch that, you know, and, and see somebody's, you know, the God to turn the light on in somebody's soul. Mm-hmm. And then, all, you know, they start to see things in Scripture, and they're trying to connect dots, and then all of a sudden, yep. know, God God gives the body people like John Piper to help us connect mm-hmm. those dots. And I the, really think you so. You see the light bulbs going off just yeah. constantly. Yeah, Piper's not writing Scripture, and he would be the first one to tell you that, but he he's a gifted man, uh, along with others, to help Christians connect dots, and I think Desiring God. So probably I would rank Desiring God even ahead of 
mere Christianity as yeah. far as the impact on me. But. Yeah. Now, stuff that we're reading as of, or I guess let's say recently finished books that we've enjoyed. Recently finished. I haven't finished quite Packer's uh, book on the Puritans, but mm. uh, that is such a fun read. Yeah. I mean, just I I don't I don't think I had a good historical understanding of the Puritans at all, mm-hmm. particularly from a theological standpoint to to see mm-hmm. how they you know embrace Reformed theology, yeah. how they thought so well about the Trinity, oh yeah, about suffering, uh, the sovereignty of God. I mean, there there's just some incredible like stuff. Oh there. yeah, and um, uh, and Packer does such a good job, such a good job of putting all that together and uh it, it's a it was it's been a fun read and next really thing enjoyed that. next thing you know you'll be uh you'll be reading puritans like every week mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah i don't i don't i mean i know that the Pur- puritans have been talked about a lot in reform yeah. circles for years but i've just never i guess i haven't really paid enough attention to that mm. and um that's that's you know my bad but i <laughs> <laughs> i've really enjoyed that book oh um, yeah I'm re- also reading, um, and I'm, I'm finished with it, but it, it's it's not one of those books that I have, you know, um, you know, just kind of exhaustively read because mm-hmm. it's it's a book on leadership by uh, a guy named Patrick Lynchoni called The Advantage. Uh, he's the one that wrote, uh, um, oh, dr- is it drama? Not drama free teens, but something about the. Something about teams. It's a very famous book. Yeah. Um, anyway, we're reading it. The elders of our church have been reading it because there's there's six questions that he gets to in there mm-hmm. for um, organizational health. Yeah. And like it or lump it, the church in you know as we know it has an has an organizational nature to it. There's yep. a part of it that's organizational, and so we've been going through that book, and I've really appreciated Lynn Choney because. I got turned off by the the leadership, all things leadership infatuation that was going on in mm-hmm. the late nineties, early two thousands oh, in the yeah. church world. John oh, yeah. Maxwell and all these people that were writing all these seven steps to this and that. Andy Stanley's done some Andy of Stanley. it. I'm pretty sure Rick Warren probably has too, maybe. Yeah, and then you had that book that came out called uh, Good to Great that the church got mm-hmm. so enamored with, where they studied. <clears throat> you know, secular companies that had, um, you know, excelled ab- ab- above the the general market yep. uh, by a certain amount over a certain period of time, mm-hmm. and those companies were uh, categorized as great. And so they studied the habits of the CEOs and the and 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 the the different aspects of the the organization. And the church got so infatuated with that stuff, mm-hmm. and I felt myself pushing back a little bit, going. Yeah, I mean, I get that that there could be some benefit there, but the church is different in a lot right. of ways, and it's a different organism altogether. It's a different organism altogether, and, and it's it, you, it's not apples to apples. Mm-hmm. But this book, Lynchoni, has been, I feel like, sensitive in the way he's written it to the fact that the church does have some inherent differences, mm-hmm. and he talks about that even. But those six essential questions have been really helpful to talk about. You know, who are we? Why do we exist? How will we succeed? What's most important for us right yep. now, and who's in charge of that? You know, the, those questions. He has a he has sort of a algorithm to help you walk through that, mm-hmm. and that book's been really good. I would recommend it. Awesome, 
Yeah, I've also finished uh, listening to the audio version of Michael Horton's Rediscovering the Holy Spirit. Good. Um, which is a, it is a deep dive. Mm-hmm. It's it's like 13 hour listen. And mm-hmm. I, I normally listen to audio books at like 1.5 and I had to slow this one down to 1.2 because I was just like, hold up because <laughs> there was so much there. Um, so he, you know, he even starts out with like, hey, the Holy Spirit is present in Genesis 1, like the yep, Spirit hovering over, right. like that is the Holy Spirit uh, and, and the Shekinah glory in, in the desert and all that, or the wilderness rather, not the desert necessarily, um, and on through. And, and interestingly enough, you know, because Horton is, uh, he's at Westminster Theological Seminary, like very known Presbyterian guy. And he's like, you know, I, I don't think from scripture I can make like a hard cessationist uh, argument. I was about to ask you, like, I, I, I didn't think he was a cessationist. Right. Where it's, which is not typical for a Presbyterian. No. In fact, um, yeah. And, uh, but I mean, he, he did make, uh, I mean, he made some really compelling arguments for, uh, you know, the gifts of the spirit, what he, what he believes, uh, tongues are and stuff like that. Mm. And, um, it was really well researched, really well put together. Good I thought for you reading that. Yeah. Yeah. It I was like that. Oh man. It was a, it was a deep dive. Um, I, I do think I, I listened to, uh, Sam Storms, uh, like a year ago, uh, his his book on tongues. I think Horton did a better job being consistent. I I, I, I could see that where that would be the case. Um, yeah, not to, like Sam Storms is great. Like he's done a lot of good stuff, and um, yeah, <laughs> you know, and, and not to not to go off into a sermon here or anything, but you know, the fact that Horton mentions that that the the Holy Spirit's present in the creation account, right. Is is I think so important to mm-hmm. our soteriology, it, yeah, and oh, even yeah. our even the new covenant understanding of the new covenant because, you know, I love the way Mark's gospel starts. You know, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ and John the Baptist announcement that one's coming after me who will baptize you. I baptize mm-hmm. you with water. One's coming yep. after me who baptize you with the Holy Spirit. That's where the mm-hmm. good news begins. Yeah, and that's that's something that Horton got into as well. Is obviously. I think it was, oh, what is it? No one can say Jesus is Lord except by the power of the Spirit. And uh, so to actually rightly worship God in the old covenant, you still had to be regenerate. Yes. Uh, like, And that was a work of the Spirit. Like, yep. it, It's not that he wasn't around. It's he was poured out in a new way in dwelling people. Mm-hmm. Like kind of that already not yet instantiating of like a taste of new heavens and new earth kind of thing, you know? And I think, I think we don't think about this enough because, you know, for Paul, Paul says in Galatians three, you know, did you receive the spirit Mm -hmm. by works of the flesh or by faith? Right. And he assumes that they're going to know exactly what he's talking Mm -hmm. about when they, when he says about receiving the spirit. Right. And then to think that, you know, we we start the gospel with saying Jesus died on the cross for my sins so that when I die, I can go to heaven and not hell. Right. But the good news really begins with God has shown up on the planet. Yeah. And is immersing people, you know, inundating people yeah. with yeah. his spirit. And for the Jews, you, you can imagine what they would have thought about. They would have thought about Samson pushing the pillars. Oh, spirit yeah. comes on Samson yeah. and he pushes the pillars down and kills the Philistines or he picks up the jawbone of an ass and and kicks you know what um so <laughs> literally what you just said <laughs> what i just said <laughs> so like 
Th- that I don't know. That I love that uh, you're reading that because I think that's huge, and I'm excited. We're about to start the Gospel of Luke at Res once I finish First Peter, um, and and my excitement is really about the way Luke emphasizes the work of the Spirit in mm-hmm. the life and ministry of Jesus. So, right. Sidetrack. Keep going. What else yeah, you read? Sure. I am currently also crawling through Everyone's a Theologian by R.C. Sproul. Mm-hmm. So Sproul's lay-level systematic theology. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, the the chapters aren't... You know, his chapters are like six or seven pages. It's super accessible. I love that about Sproul. And, um, and so he goes from doctrine of God, soteri... Like everything. And mm-hmm. so I'm in the soteriology section and it's... It's, it covers everything, not from every angle. It, you know, it's it's kind of a a, a starter systematic theology. Like it's not going to get as group as, as, as I don't even know what I'm saying. It's not going to get as deep as someone like Burkhoff or uh, even Grudem. Uh, for those of you who can stomach his eternal subordination <clears throat> within the Trinity, uh, the doctrine and devotion guys call him No Way Wayne. <laughs> no Way Wayne. I love that. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, it's, it's been super, uh, super helpful, uh, even just to remind myself, like I'll, I'll listen to, you know, some, like I'll listen to James White talk about textual criticism. I'll listen to the Christ, the center guys just totally nerd out on everything using huge Latin terms, but you know, it's good to get like, Hey, here's the basic, you know, we'll build a little bit on that, but here's the basic, like remind yourself of that. I, I try to emulate Sproul in this way. I feel like he did, he does over, over his life, like ministry. I think he did a good job of making deep accessible. Yeah. That's one of my goals as a teacher is that I want to take, I want to take deep, rich things in the Bible and put them on a shelf that people can reach that haven't been to seminary or, you know, maybe don't have a college degree at all. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, I love that about Sproul. That's good. So maybe favorite book that you've read in the last year? Uh, last year? Or so. Uh, let me look through my library here. Um, While you're looking, I guess I'll go first. Go first. Um, in, in terms of practicality, I really enjoyed uh, Plauductivity uh, by Doug Wilson. Hmm. It is it, it, The subtitle is A Practical Theology of Work and Wealth. And, uh, and he makes the case that, you know, literally anything you own is a tool. Hmm. Uh, and, and he really harps on like the, the phones that we have, if we count every app Mm -hmm. that we have as a servant, Mm -hmm. then our wealth makes any King in ancient history look like a pauper. Hmm. Like we can immediately go and get more done in one day than what a lot of people could get done in a year. Hmm. And um, and so it's he's advocating you know actually building something as Christians, hmm. um, utilizing the wealth that we have, not just money, but our buildings, our cars, our everything we own, toward the glory of God, toward building the kingdom. Hmm. And uh, and obviously, since it's Wilson, he's doing it from a post millennial perspective of hmm. this is actually going to last. It's not just going to get blown up. Hmm. Uh, so do with that what you will. <laughs> But uh, but I I thought it was it was really good. Like it's like hey, it's not it's not just gonna get blown up one day. It's actually leading to something in the hmm. future. I I think I would probably say this was 
I had a lot of fun with this book. You, uh, you've uh, referenced this one a few times. I, I used an I used a um, portion of it in a sermon. It's called "The Man Who Mistook His Wife for a Hat" by Oliver Sacks um, and other clinical tales. Uh, Oliver Sacks is, um, you know, he's a neuro- neurologist, um, and this book is just a collection of stories, real stories mm-hmm. from his practice. That mm-hmm. he's such a great writer, and yeah. He, you know, one I won't tell the whole story, but one I used in a sermon one time was the there there was a, a patient he was dealing with who was just belligerent and out of control because he was convinced that his leg was not his leg mm-hmm. that somebody had attached a yeah. a leg to him that didn't belong to him, uh, and he was trying to get it off. Yeah, and and he's. The way he interacts with this guy and the things he says and how he helps this guy come to see reality is just so, at times, humorous, even though it's a kind of a sad story. Right. It's humorous. It's funny. It's informative. He, you know, he, he, it has, it's a really entertaining way to just sort of understand the human psyche and what can happen and what does happen. Right. This was a really fun book and some great stories in here. He's a great writer. I think there was actually a movie made about him. Mm. So. Okay. Yeah, I, I think I finished this within the last year. Yeah, and that and that kind of gets to the the common grace section is that's not from a Christian perspective, right? No, um, but I he, don't even know that he's a Christian. Yeah, but he has good things to say about all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so in in my common grace section, I have range why generalists triumph in a specialized world by David Epstein who, much like Jeffrey Epstein, also did not kill himself. (laughs) But uh, range is about uh, generalists who, you know, as opposed to specialists, specialists know everything there is to know about a single or maybe two things, and we need those kind of people. Uh, But generalists know a little bit about a lot. Mm. And I, and I was exposed to that in college as a journalism major where, you know, one day I'm writing sports and the next day I'm covering uh, Mike Huckabee's presidential campaign stop. Mm. So I needed to know both what a double play is mm. and uh, maybe what immigration reform is, <laughs> you know, like, at least a working knowledge. I don't have to delve into, you know, the technical terms, but he gets into how often uh, generalists can bring an outside perspective to specialists mm-hmm. and can actually understand what the specialists are saying and can see what specialists might miss, mm. which is why, uh, you know, to kind of make it applicable uh, you see a lot of people in our current climate of saying, well, we just need to listen to the scientists. Hmm. Well, the scientists may not be uh, really coherent, uh, coherently thinking about how does this affect the economy? How does this also affect mental health? How does this affect emotional health? They're thinking simply in terms of biology. Yep. And so you have to take all of those into account and then make make a call based on all of those, not just the one thing. Yeah, that's good. Um, I like that. And then uh, my other common grace uh, section, which was, uh, I don't, he, he didn't mean to, <laughs> to release it, uh, but Dan Carlin's The End is Always Near. So Dan Carlin has a really good uh, history podcast where he takes deep dives. And and by deep dives, I mean like 20 plus hours worth <laughs> into World War One, mm. or uh, he... 
we talked about that one, the the blueprint for Armageddon World War One series. Uh, he also did one on Japan's uh, perspective going into World War Two called Supernova in the East, hmm. which was also incredibly interesting. And um, but he he wrote the end is always near, where it talks about plagues and weapons of mass destruction and uh, economic collapses, volcanic eruptions that screw up crops for years and and stuff like that. Where it's like you know we've we've been in these kind of situations before, <laughs> yeah. And uh, and we keep trucking along. Now that's not to disparage anybody's eschatology by any means, but uh, what we're going through right now is actually kind of familiar in in human history it's just we haven't experienced it through social media like this that's right how about how about this a book you've read recently you don't like you didn't like or disagreed with i'll go first while you're thinking do it um i just recently read david platt's seven questions to ask before you vote Mm, okay um you know i I haven't really read a whole lot of David Platt. Mm-hmm. You know, if somebody were to say, "What do you think of him?" I'd say, "I, you know, kind of like him. I think, I, I think he is. Uh, I, I've heard some sermons that I thought were really good. Yep. Um, but I picked this book up because I had read some critical remarks about it uh, that I just happened across on social media, and I think I get where they're coming from now. I was mm-hmm. kind of surprised because, like, I, I'll tell you what I liked about the book is I liked, and I used it on Sunday uh, in, in my own words, but he talked about that because we live in America, we not only have to consider the God-given mandates of the governed Mm-hmm. to the governed, but we also have to consider the God-given mm-hmm. mandates to the governing because yep. we have the right and privilege to vote. And so mm-hmm. we should not take that lightly. Uh, we should consider what the Bible says is the primary purpose of government. I agree with that. Right. You know, um, the the part I didn't like is that I, I, I don't think that he, he addresses the elephant in the room when it comes to critical race theory. Yeah. And yeah. the oppression... Uh, the perceived pr- oppression mm-hmm. and what mm-hmm. that really means, and he he would almost equate or put on the same shelf, weighing the moral implications of abor- of, the, of something like abortion mm-hmm. with the the feeling of oppression, right. Right. That exists. No, I see that grin. <laughs> and I I just like, no, Platt, I don't think, I'm not saying that their racial inequality isn't as evil as anything else. Right. I'm just saying, I don't think he's dealing with some of the nuances well that I think exist in our culture right. that need to be talked about in the church. And I that's where I was like, Platt, I'm not, I'm not calling Platt, you know, a flaming liberal or something like right. that. I'm just saying, I didn't like the way he handled that there is a tendency and and this is where um this is where guys like jeff durbin and doug wilson are gaining so much traction is because they're actually willing to say hard things about abortion yep where and and obviously i'm not telling you to say this from the pulpit like do what you need to do but it's murder it's absolutely murder and and we need to call it that Mm -hmm. um and and using graphic language like talking about the fact that babies are literally being torn apart and dismembered Mm -hmm. and their brains are being sucked out yep uh we need to be honest about that and if we can't protect the right to life pre uh pre-birth 
<laughs> what makes you think the government's going to do a good job protecting your right to life after? Yep. You know, um, but that's that's interesting that you bring up Platt when I was looking through my Goodreads. Um, my least favorite book of 2019, which I listened, I listened to the audio version on Audible uh, last December was Platt's Something Needs to Change, A Call to Make Your Life Count in a World of Urgent Need. And it's not that I don't like Platt himself. I love the guy's heart, mm-hmm. uh, but it, it tracks his 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 short term missions trip uh, where he he basically hiked through the Himalayas to all these really remote villages and stuff like that. Yeah. Okay. And some heart wrenching stories, gut wrenching stories, all that kind of stuff. But the whole time, I can't help but think you just want everybody to be a missionary. And, and then at the end, he's like, I'm not saying everybody needs to be a missionary. And I'm like, you literally just <laughs> for like 12 chapters. And, um, and the problem that I have with some of Platt's stuff, including, including even radical, uh, mm. on some, on some, uh, in some instances, which is mm-hmm. why I think Horton's ordinary is so helpful, mm-hmm. um, is, and it's the same, uh, problem that I have with a lot of Francis Chan stuff. Yeah. I was about to say is, is they both just beat you up and they make you feel like you're not good enough, which you're not, yeah. but, but Christianity isn't about what you do. It's about what's been done. Right. And I, and I think they, the vast majority of Christendom, even in the New Testament, were people who were trying to just live life in light of the gospel. Right. You know, yeah. love your wife. Yeah. Respect your husband. Yep. Um, really, like th- those are don't the, provoke your children to anger. Yeah, that, I, that's even in Ephesians, right? Where it's uh, those things that God set out beforehand for you to do. And it's not, go make sure everyone in the world gets saved. Right. Like that, that is a good thing to do. But the things that God has first set out for you to do mm. is what you just said. Well, Paul says, you know, we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for every good work which he prepared in advance for us to do. Yes. So I'm not I'm not prepared for every good every possible good work. Right. I'm prepared for the good works that God prepared for yes, me. Yes, that's a much better explanation than I. And have. and I I think, you know, for Peter, we're going through 1 Peter right now and he says, you know, you are a chosen race, you are a holy priesthood, you are a people for God's own possession who proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. That's a massive statement. Yeah. And then where does he go after that to help us understand what that looks like? Abstain from the passions of the flesh. Yeah. Yeah. Submit to human authority. Yep. Wives submit to your husbands. Husbands mm-hmm. live with your wives in an understanding way. This is where he goes is to real yep. life. And yet I think those guys, Platt and Chan and others, we're not all called to be the apostle Paul in the sense right. that we, 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 we travel all over the world, giving right. our lives away in that way. I, I think that's necessary and needed for, for some people. God calls some people in the body of Christ to do that. But yeah. I agree with you. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So, so read Michael Horton's ordinary as yeah. kind of an antidote to that, where he, he really advocates, well, you know, obedience to God, for some people, is going to be changing diapers. That's exactly and, right. And changing them with joy and not grumbling. That's exactly yeah. right. Which, which is freeing when you think about it it's that so way, free, right? Man. It's so freeing. The Bible is so good if we just read it well. Yeah, right? 
Inquisition, do it. And this is the Inquisition where we take questions from you, the listeners, via weekly post in the Westminster Effects Doxology Podcast Lounge. And as is tradition, uh, we start with Brian Morris, who asks, what questions should one ask themselves and others around them before starting the process of planting a church? Read that one more time. What questions should someone ask himself and others around him before starting the process of planting a church? Oh, man. I mean, that's that's pretty big, right? I don't know that I'm an expert on this. Um, we did have an episode with Keith. Go back and listen to that one. Yeah. Um, you know, I would defer to people who've actually planted a church. I haven't. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, you know, one of the first questions that I would ask, mm-hmm. I think every church should ask this question yeah. is, again, why why do we exist what what is our god ordained dna as a body it's not that i'm not talking about branding i'm not talking about um you know some slogan that we put together or even some innovative way of doing ministry but right. like what is the what is our sense of why this church would be necessary here and effective and fruitful here what what are you yep. going to be about yeah uh, and how how does that impact the location, the geographical location where you're going to be? I think, for, like for Res Church, um, I think a church that worships deeply, passionately, um, expecting to experience the presence of God and the Spirit of God in a in a real way, coupled with deep expository intentional teaching mm-hmm. and diving into the word. I think that is so needed right here in the in the heart of the Bible Belt. Oh yeah. Because we are so either or in this part of the country. Yep. Maybe that's true in other parts of the country too, but I think as a church planner, you want to you want to be clear about not just the model you're going after or the mm-hmm. the, the 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 methodology and 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 you know Keith's going through a, an organization called ARC Association of, Refor- of Related Churches. I was about to say it, it's not Association of Reformed Churches. That's no, different. it's related churches. <laughs> but they have they have a whole system for how you plant church, mm-hmm. plant a church in terms of how you market it and and how you get it going, how you build your team, what you focus on. They have a couple of different models I think you can choose from, but um, I just think you got to be really clear about why the church is needed and necessary, where you're going to plant it. That's what I would say. Yeah, and I think a good question to ask yourself and others, particularly those who may have a little more experience uh, and maybe have a little more wisdom is, should I do this? Because it could be that you ask someone that you trust, and they'd be like, "That ain't you." That's a great. That's a great uh, point. Where some people, you know, some people would do great pastoring a church that's been established, but others don't have, as you said, the DNA, uh, the makeup of making that push to start a church. That's really like good. like Keith is. He is shameless. Like he will talk to anybody about Jesus, like in line at CVS, yeah. <laughs> and he'll he'll recruit somebody like in the middle of Walmart. Mm-hmm. Like that's just him. Yep. Uh, that's not me. Not me either. <laughs> and uh, and that's awesome for him. But 
not my makeup at all i I think that's a great point cody awesome uh well thanks uh john trailer asks what are some good versus books slash pieces of wisdom for being a good witness to someone who has returned to their faith so maybe someone who's backslidden maybe even denied the faith and now they're maybe coming back with their tail between their legs and and uh Maybe they have some doubts, or maybe they need to be reprimanded a little bit. Maybe mm-hmm. they need to be corrected a little bit. So the question is, where might you lead them to live in Scripture? Yeah. The hmm. first thing I think of is First John. Yeah. I, yeah. A, uh, a, a really fun, fun word study or, I guess, way of reading First John, uh, whether you print it out or whether you uh, just read a paper copy of the Bible, uh, this works a lot better physically, is circle every time it says that First John says no, K-N-O-W. Hmm. By this we know, and hmm. this is how we know. Good. Like there's, there's loads of assurance <laughs> you know, th- you know, we know that we love God because the fruit we bear, the love we have for each other, stuff like that. Mm. And uh, like when when I when that clicked in my mind, like just seeing that word over and over again, it's like I think he has a point here. Mm. Maybe I should pay attention. Well, interestingly, I like when I found myself discipling someone in that situation. Um, I've I, I can probably name you know, two handfuls of people that I've encouraged to go back and read the gospel of John. Yeah. Because the, the theme of the gospel of John is so that you might believe. Yeah. And I just think that, you know, all four gospels, you know, they have a, they have a part to sing in the choir that is Mm -hmm. the gospel of Jesus. And John's, John's note, John's harmony is belief. It's faith. It's yeah. trust and confidence in Jesus. And there's yep. also some really robust reformed language yep. in the Gospel of John. Yep. That uh, I think helps people. They, they get to spend time with Jesus, mm-hmm. listening to Him, and wrestling with the question of faith yep. and confidence and what faith is and mm-hmm. what it's not. Right, um, I think the Gospel of John, and I would agree with you. I think First John; that's, yeah. those are two fantastic yeah. places to live. In yeah. So specifically for that, more explicit to use the anachronistic term, <laughs> Reformed language, since John was totally a Calvinist, right? Mm-hmm, yeah, he was, but Calvin wasn't around then. Um, John six and John ten. Yeah. Um, yeah. Go read those chapters. Good totally. stuff. Uh, Dustin Beeman. Yes, Dustin, we're going to answer one of your questions this week. What's your favorite Bible translation? Mm. To read or to teach from? Anything, I guess. Mm. Probably my favorite to read is the NASB. Mm. Yeah. Um, just because it forces me to yeah. slow down. Right. Um, to teach from the ESV, because I mm-hmm. think that's the most readable word-for-word translation that we have. Yeah, I would agree. Um, I, I usually use the ESV pretty much all the way around. Mm-hmm. Um, the the CSB, the Christian Standard Bible, is also, it's, it's kind of a blend of the thought for thought and word for word, but it's really good. Hmm. Um, there's, there's some stuff that the CSB gets better than the ESV. Really? E- even when the ESV is more literal, sometimes the CSB just nails that point a little better. Um, My biggest criticism of the ESV is I feel like 
there are numerous places where when there are, let's say, three options Mm -hmm. for a word to be translated. Yep. And if you were to scale those options in terms of intensity. Mm. And they soft pedal a little. They always choose the like. Yeah. This is just one of the first ones that comes to mind. Um, Peter, in the text we were in this week in in First Peter, uh, live as free people, not not, not using your freedom as a cover up for evil, but mm-hmm. as servants of the living God. Yep. So in that in in that little spectrum of translation for that mm-hmm. word, we could go with servants, we could go with bond servants, and we could go with yep. slaves. Yep. Slaves being the most robust, emphatic, and mm-hmm. I think probably the most accurate. Yep. Translation of what Peter's trying to say yep. there, but they choose the safest, right. easiest one, and right. that would be my biggest criticism right. of the ESV. And ironically, I am not endorsing this Bible translation. <laughs> That's actually something the New World Translation that the Jehovah's Witnesses use gets right, is they actually go there and translate it as slaves. Oh, man, you're going to get lamb blasted in the yeah. lounge. Yeah, I am. Yeah, but, uh, I, I, yeah, yeah. The, the, but I think that's right. Yeah, and, and, they're, the right and they are not ashamed of that. Yep. Um, and, then, and then one other translation to avoid at all costs is the passion translation. Yeah, it is garbage. just the hottest of garbage on the planet. And if you're in a church that's using it, uh, ask why. And then if they don't mm. change it, run away because mm. they're on a mm, bad, bad time. I think that I, I don't know the CSB that well, but I think the ESV is probably the the most helpful translation for a church to come together and read scripture. Yes. I think that's the most helpful. I just find myself all the time having to say, all right, the ESV says this, but really it's it's bigger than that. It's, it's, right. it's, it's more poignant than that. Right. And I have to help. I find myself having to do that almost on a weekly mm-hmm. basis. Yeah. I, no, I totally hear that. Mm-hmm. All right. So here's the, uh, the question where we're going to get, <clears throat> we're going to get a little, little soapboxy, but you haven't heard this question yet. I need some more coffee. This you might, this is from Anderson Gordon. Uh, and this is in light of, uh, the death of Eddie Van Halen last week. Mm-hmm. Uh, so for those of you who are uninitiated, what's wrong with you people? <laughs> uh, literally one of the most innovative guitarists of ever. Uh, no even, even so his tone had a sound. He called it the brown sound. And the Knox version two is a brown sound pedal. Go buy it. Mm. So there's my shameless self-promotion. Um, but Anderson asks, how do we feel or think about our musical influences that aren't Christians who die? They're more numerous than Christian artists with better, better sound and skill, yet they don't share our faith. And, and I'll take it a step further. Should we then pay tribute to those musical influences when they die in church? Uh, Wow. Um, so, so in you, terms yeah, of you ramped it up a notch there, I did because we'll get there in a second. So, in terms of musical influences, like Common Grace again, right? Like, no doubt, people who don't love Jesus can one make uh, a nuclear reactor, or two, they can make really good guitar riffs. You know, we we have room for both of those. Well, I, th- I think I've talked about this before on the podcast. I, I am a I am a big fan. 
of honor. Yeah. Give honor where honor is due. Yep. The tech, I, I, yep. I keep referencing first Peter, but it's just where we're living right now. Honor everyone. Mm-hmm. Love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. So that word yep. honor means yep. show proper respect and appreciation mm-hmm. for everyone. Yep. And sometimes that proper respect would be to recognize a gifted artist. Yep. And notice I use the, the word gifted implies something. Mm-hmm. Someone gave yep. him yep. Yep. that talent or her that ability, right? Mm-hmm. That didn't come from nowhere. Yep. We don't believe that. so and, and we're honest about who they were, what their foibles were, and all that. Absolutely. But you can look at Eddie Van Halen or Jimi Hendrix or, mm. um, you know, I'd love to hear Bruce Hornsby play the piano. I just, <laughs> I, I just love it. You know, uh, even to acknowledge people like Mozart and Beethoven and, and, and people that have already died like that. But I think that uh, Michelangelo... Um, it, we we should honor and give proper honor. Yes, right. There, there's a there's an appropriate kind of honor and respect that we can give to artists and appreciate their contributions mm-hmm. uh, to the craft that we're using for the glory of God. Right. And should we mention that in church? Um, man, I I can't imagine doing that. Certainly not with Eddie Van Halen. Right, so so here's the context of why I bring that up is there have been in some of the worship guitar groups <clears throat> uh, some <laughs> you know to to you know protect the guilty yeah um, there have been posts of people playing their Eddie Van Halen signature guitars like the the, mm-hmm. the Strat shape with all the stripes like okay. the fifty one fifty kind of thing uh, the stripes all over it um, or for example playing part of the eruption solo mm. in during a worship song or you know, even any number of his other riffs and that does not sit well with me i, I don't it doesn't mean yeah because like i was <laughs> my wife like she ranted about this for a good five minutes like mm. she was she was pretty hot uh she's she's more irritated than i was mm. but it's like who are we in church to pay tribute to <laughs> like, like, you know, all the respect in the world for Eddie Van Halen or Jimi Hendrix. Jimi Hendrix is my favorite, hist- quote unquote, historical guitarist. Mm-hmm. Um, so much respect for those guys or even crap like Randy Rhodes, who mm-hmm. who died years ago, whatever. But when I'm in church, I'm there to pay tribute to the King of Kings. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't mean to mic drop that too hard, but. But I think it's right. I think, you right. know, it, it's interesting. Again, that verse, it's, it's, it's chapter 2, verse 17 in First Peter, is so, so good. It's just so awesome. It, 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 it frames this kind of conversation for me. Yeah. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. So there's a unique mm-hmm. love that I share with you that I don't mm-hmm. share with unbelievers. Yep. Fear God, okay? God mm-hmm. is to be feared. We're to be in awe. We're to reverence him. We're, let our words be few. Tremble at him yep. and also yep. run into his lap is what I said on Sunday. And then honor the emperor. So there, there's a, you know, there's a, there's kind of a varied approach there. And I think that you, when you bring things into the worship setting that aren't 
focused on God and God's glory and the worship of God, mm-hmm. you got to be really careful with that because it's why I've, I've talked about this before. We don't we don't sing God bless America right at church right because God bless America says my home sweet home right. And when we, I'm I'm fine with that at a football game, I think. But if if when we come into the church setting, you, I want people focused on their kingdom citizenship. Yep. There there is a sense that when we we gather as as the body, that our our worship of God and our hope in the King of Kings and our glory in the gospel, it tr- it trumps. Pardon the reference it it <laughs> but it it does it trumps all of the things and i think bringing you know doing an eddie van halen cello just to i just don't think that's appropriate honor right now social media or something like knock yourself out go like, for by, it by all, like i i hey, this guy influenced me and my musical style and, <clears throat> and i appreciate yeah. his contribution to the art of guitar playing yep and move on but that that's appropriate yeah because like Personally, I didn't. I didn't think it would really add anything to the myriad posts that were going on. Like nothing wrong with anybody that did, but mm-hmm. like Eddie Van Halen, even even to the point of like me being more of a metal guy, like his signature amp has even been uh, a staple for guitarists for the last twenty years. Yeah, and it's and I even tell people with the Osteen <clears throat> version too is hey this gets into that 5150 territory like you yep. can ch- you can chug with this and uh like he's been stupid influential but I'm not bringing that to church you know and I, I don't want to be too dogmatic here when RC Sproul died mm, yeah I didn't mention that in church yeah yeah he had a profound impact on yeah me. or Packer for that matter Packer yeah. I didn't mention that in church yeah if John Piper dies I might pause for a minute. <laughs> Think about that. But I mean, even still, though, those guys, yeah, we we honor them. Mm-hmm. You know, we love them. Right. We and love them as as part of the brotherhood. And it's and those are closer to home. And it's it's closer to like maybe honoring veterans in the congregation or honoring even during the whole Rona thing, like frontline workers, sure. stuff like that, of showing honor. Be like, hey, by the way, this guy died, and he did a whole lot of stuff that's impacted what you hear in the pulpit. Like that's and that would be more different. that would be more appropriate. But I, my point yeah. is simply that I I, I haven't felt inclined to do right. that yet right. with anybody like R.C. Sproul or Packer that's died, even though they've had a profound impact on me. And yep. so I just cannot get my head around Eddie Van Halen. Um, being honored and recognized in the in the worship setting, I right. just don't think that's appropriate. Right. Well, let's leave it there. So I don't know what I'm going to do for the ending because I did all my stuff already. Go buy stuff. WestminsterFX.com. Subscribe. Make sure you share, comment, all that stuff. We'll see you next week. <laughs>